welcome to our very first episode of the Bright Red podcast. Uh, it's wonderful to be here and to be creating a space where we can have in-depth conversations with our authors, dive into particular subject areas and offer some insightful studying tips and advice. Our first guest is one of our most prolific authors, an experienced English teacher who has taught both in the UK and abroad and has written and co-written Bright Red books for National 5 Higher and Advanced Higher English. It gives us great pleasure to introduce Dr Christopher Nicholl to the podcast. Welcome Chris. I thought we'd just start maybe by telling us if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I went to a very good uh, Scottish high school up in Arbroath many, many years ago. I enjoyed school, but I often got very frustrated by my teachers who were very intelligent men and women, but I often got exasperated by the fact that so many of their nuggets of wisdom were clouded in language that was very opaque, very difficult to to get through for a 12 or 13 year old. So my little hand was always going up in class and there was a lot of sighing from my friends and the teachers by asking questions like, oh, what do you mean there? What are you saying? And it was quite an exasperating process, although it was uh, inspiring in some ways. It was as if their language was um, obscured by the the verbal equivalent of visceral fat. And I got got through school quite successfully, um, but I found university even more frustrating because professors and lecturers tended to use the same kind of language but in even more obscure ways. And of course, you can't put your hand up in a lecture and ask a professor what on earth he's talking about. But um, this frustrating process went on all the way through my education. And when did things start to change for you? It only changed when I got my first job, which was in advertising. I became a copywriter or a trainee copywriter for an agency here in Edinburgh. Initially, I was kind of a dog's body. But one afternoon, the copywriter hadn't come back from a very long, boozy lunch. And the director summoned me and said, Nicole, you've got a degree in English. We need 300 words on this travel agency by three o'clock. You know, I spent all my university career analysing texts. But I never thought that I was anyone who could possibly put texts together. So I duly wrote 300 words, took it to the director who looked at it briefly and said, Nicole, this is absolute rubbish. Look at these sentences. Three of them begin with and. That sentence goes on forever. How on earth are you going to sell anything to anybody with language like this? When I looked at it, he was absolutely right. So I went away and started all over again. Over the process of time, I did manage to get 300 words together that um, was readable to most people. And what do you think this process taught you? That opened a whole new world for me because here I was finding a solution to all the opaque language that I'd been subject to in all my education. (laughs) And things got more interesting still when I was asked to write music reviews for the then Glasgow Herald. I had a, a keen interest in music and again language had to be succinct. You couldn't ramble on. I had to write 450 words by 11 o'clock that night 
So there was no question of sort of indulging in fine writing. You had to go straight to the jugular and say exactly what you meant. I think the process of copywriting in journalism brought me to the kind of writing style that you see in these books today. So you started off in copywriting and, and advertising. Can you tell us about how you sort of transitioned from that into a teaching career? Well, advertising was very, very stimulating for a very young man at the time. I made a lot of money for someone of my age. Um, but in advertising, there's a huge, huge amount of pressure. Clients are difficult. Photographers are difficult. The whole creative process uh, causes a lot of sleepless, many sleepless nights. And I did this for eight years. And gradually, I felt I was almost burnt out by the process. Mm -hmm. I was exhausted and I was also bored because the same problems kept coming round and round. It was time for a change. And at the back of my mind, I had this idea that teaching might be of interest to me. But I wasn't going to be a teacher like the ones I'd had at school. So I took myself off and did a teacher training course and found myself a job in a, a girls' public school. And I immediately put to work what I'd learned at my own school, that I wasn't going to be that kind of teacher. And so I made my lessons directly constructed to talk to the students rather than talk at them. And I really enjoyed the process uh, very much. It was a, a, a school with very high academic standards and the pressure on teachers and students was quite considerable. And again, I did that for around eight years. And again, <laughs> I felt a little bit burnt out after that period. So what was I going to do? I had a, a teaching qualification, uh, an interest in, in language, obviously. So I decided to teach English as a foreign language in France. Mm -hmm. I taught taught in the Dordogne for a time, and then I moved south to, to Nice, uh, where I taught at an American university um, owned by the Nice Chamber of Commerce, bizarrely enough. And there it, I had a different kind of problem because I was preparing French students to study largely in America. And they created essays in a way that was quite different from Anglo-Saxon universities. They would write on the one hand, blah, 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 and on the other, blah, 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 blah. But don't ask me to make any evaluation or decision about what I'm saying. So I thought, well, how on earth am I going to teach the Anglo-Saxon university writing process to students who have come from a background very, very different? I looked around in the commercial world and there were no books that really helped helped me teach these, these students. So with a colleague, we started to write our own stuff. Dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, lessons were prepared and copied and given to students, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, I thought, well, this is silly. Every year we keep 
renewing these uh, lesson sheets, why don't we bind them together into a book? So we did that. And that's where my interest in creating books came from, because I had to make my own to survive as a teacher. And hence my interest both in um, teaching English and creating texts that students can use. Brilliant, Chris. And, and so that quite nicely leans us on to the next question, um, which is that you've written and co-written a number of books for us. And I wondered if you could just tell us a bit about the writing experience and, and the process of doing that. It's a very lonely process, uh, writing a textbook or any kind of book, I can imagine. And it's also a bit dangerous because when you're on your own writing away, despite your aim to talk to people rather than at them, when you're covering page after page after page, you can often lapse into text that is a bit opaque. And you have to keep calling yourself back to look at what you've written to make sure you are following this, this process of, of talking directly to people. Um, you can easily fall into the trap of writing for yourself. And I think a successful book of any kind, textbook, novel, whatever, has to keep an eye or an ear on the listener and reader because it is so easy to find that you're just writing for yourself. You need to ensure that you stand back, read what you've written, and be prepared to take a huge blue pencil to great acres of stuff. I think my, my study floor has been covered in paper and paper and paper because I suddenly realised I th what I thought was brilliant writing was later not very good at all. And sort of going through the you know, revisiting a text and editing it and reading over it again and again. What What is that like? Is, is that quite a tiring experience or is that some, a process you really like? I quite like it. And early on, when I was writing these uh, books for my pupils in France, I got a very good colleague um, who was also interested in this course um, to sit in with me and... I'd give her a copy of what I'd written, I had a copy of written, and I would read it aloud to her. Reading aloud is vitally important for revising any kind of text, because you give a copy to your friend and ask her opinion, and of course, being a friend, he or she says, oh, it's fine, it's fine, maybe you cut out a little bit here, but they don't really examine it in detail. But if you have give her a text and sit with the text yourself and read it to them, keep watching their face as well as their, their comments, because often you'll find that there is a sentence that clunks when you read it aloud, that you've started a same a sentence with several sentences with the same structure. And I think it, it's a very, very useful uh, device to have someone you, whose judgment you trust listen to yourself reading it and be prepared for much more critical comment than you would get if you just handed them a text and asked for their opinion. 
I think revising with someone and revising aloud is the best way to come up with a text that is entirely readable. See, for the next part of, of the podcast, we really wanted to give some advice for students. So um, I wondered how you would suggest students could improve their portfolio writing. Well, long before you get down to making plans or writing anything, I think you should, despite the, the, the calls on your time, read the best possible. Now, I don't mean just read literature. I mean journalism. Uh, there are very, very many good uh, journalists at work in Britain today in the quality newspapers. Travel writing, opinion pieces. You can learn so much from these kind of professional writers. Uh, copying, obviously, is, is out of the question, but you can f- learn a lot of useful techniques which you can adapt and use in your own writing. A gripping start of a magazine article, a gripping start of a newspaper article, all, all these give you ideas for how you can adapt this to your own writing. So read the best in whatever genre you can put your hands on. I think also you've been picking up a lot of writing skills without knowing it by your work for reading, for understanding, analysis and evaluation. All these techniques you're pinpointing for the examiners, minor sentences, inversion, figurative language, word choice, parallel structures, you're ready to talk about them in an exam. So why not make them work for you in your own writing? A lot of students just completely overlook that they have wonderful techniques in their grasp, which they could use to to great effect in their own writing. Writing to a plan, yes, you must always think about some sort of structure to your writing. People seem to use various kinds of plans. Uh, I wouldn't like, I would hesitate to say, use this plan uh, as opposed to another plan. You use a plan that works for you, but you have some idea of where you're going before you start. But as you write, sometimes good ideas emerge And I don't think it's a good idea to stick rigorously to a plan if you see it needs to change. I think you need to have a a degree of flexibility in any kind of planning um, before becoming a prisoner of it. As you write, you might find this plan needs to change. Well, change it. Another thing I think is to bear in mind is when you're writing is for whom am I writing? I think it's only professional writers that have the luxury of writing to please themselves because they know they are talented and it will please other people. By all means, enjoy your writing process, but remember there is a marker out there coming down on your work quite heavily. So you need to think about uh, good writing manners, crisp, clear sentence structure, uh, prose that offers a rich reading experience, some good ideas or, or catchy phrases that are, are cobbled together will not impress. So think about the overall texture of your writing. 
And also, if you set yourself a particular genre to write in, persuasive or creative, whatever, make sure that you're keeping to that genre and you don't wander off into another one uh, vaguely similar. Uh, in other words, if you start writing a persuasive essay about some point of view, don't start giving a lecture on the facts behind it. If it's a persuasive writing project you're on, make sure it's persuasive. Keep all the techniques that you've learnt about persuasive writing in the forefront of your mind and stick to that genre. Don't wander through different genres accidentally. And sort of continuing with advice for students, um, is there anything, you know, a piece of advice that you would give to help students combat nerves? Because I think exams can be a very nerve-wracking time. Is there anything that you, you would say to them to sort of help them combat this? Well, yes, nerves that get out of hand uh, clearly um, impact on your performance. But if you talk to any musician or sports person, they will tell you that if they don't have the nerves before they go on to perform, nerves have a constructive side to them. Um, they mustn't get out of hand, they mustn't spoil your performance, but they can give an edge to performance because you know it's important and it spurs you on to that extra effort. Now, provided you have really done your work, you know your texts backwards, you've read them many times, not just in class with the teacher, but you know your stuff, you've done your revision, that gives you a kind of quiet confidence deep down that will carry you through. Yes, you will have nerves, it's impossible. If you go into an exam room completely dead, I don't think your performance is going to be very successful. But if you've have the quiet confidence of knowing that you are familiar with all you've been studying, you have a good start there. Use nerves constructively. They're not all bad. And I wondered, Chris, if you could um, give us a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self. I would say don't be frightened of standing out from the pack. Ask questions if you don't understand things. People around you might um, groan and sigh. Teachers might groan and sigh too. But make sure you get the information you're after. Don't be put off by half understanding things. Make sure you're on top of the information you want. I think that's, that's really important and, um, you know, not being scared, you know, to um, find, find the answers out to things that maybe you don't understand or you need clarification on is, is something that you can use throughout life. Um, and if you could give a piece of advice for students who are leaving school and perhaps are unsure of their career path, is there anything from sort of your life experience that you could offer offer them? Yes, I think career-wise, nothing is set in stone. My own career, such as it is, has been a path of serendipity, really. I've always been in the right place at the right time. I have picked up knowledge from all kinds of areas and I haven't been frightened to change career path when I felt I was getting bored or exhausted by a, a process. 
I think the world has many, many opportunities for young people. And every job has something to teach you. You pick up valuable experience and knowledge in any a job that you take undertake for a couple of years. But don't be frightened to use that knowledge and experience in another area of, of employment. I have changed my life several times from being a copywriter, the music journalist, teacher of English as a first language, teacher of English as a second language, um, a writer of textbooks. And all of these processes have given me great pleasure and have given me different aspects of knowledge of my own subject. We live in an uncertain age financially, economically. And I think a lot of young people, when they achieve their first job, are so pleased to get it that they're nervous about changing. But I think uh, changing your career path, um, not once but many times, can bring you a very rich and rewarding life. That brings us to the end of our first Bright Red podcast. Chris, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be our first podcast guest. And a huge thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. We will have show notes on our website and links below to everything that we mentioned in this podcast. And if you're studying English, whether that be at Nat 5, higher or advanced, higher level, um, be sure to pick up our study guides from the website and especially the new edition of Higher English. Finally, please like, rate and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you.